Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, things going on in your life, or if you have a prayer request and would like to be prayed for, uh, along with lots of people listening over the air who can join in and say amen. We'd love to hear from you. You can call us or text us. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. And the number to text is 720-336-0897. I want to say welcome to all of those of you listening today. Uh, first of all, I want to say hi to everybody listening on Grace FM in Colorado and Southern Wyoming. We also want to say hello to everyone listening on our syndicated station. So we're syndicated now in two uh, regions other than where we're located here in Colorado. So we're syndicated on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. And we are now also syndicated on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. So welcome to all of you who are tuning in from different parts of the country and from right here in Colorado where we're based and uh, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you tuned in today. And we want to remind you that those of you listening on the East Coast and in the Tennessee area, you are hearing this program on a one-week delay. So we would love to hear from you. And then you get the special opportunity to tune in again the following week and hear yourself on the radio and hear how funny your voice actually sounds on the radio. So uh, that's always fun. We want to give a big hello also to everybody who listens online. Uh, either on the mobile app. There's a great Grace FM mobile app. If you don't have it, you should go to your mobile app store, whichever one you use, and download the Grace FM app, and you can tune in wherever you are over the Internet, and it's a great way to keep up with Grace FM and listen to the programs. And you can also go on our website, gracefm.com, and you can listen online in your web browser. So however you're tuned in today and wherever you're from, we want to welcome you to the program. We're glad that you called. Again, the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Also, the number to text is 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We're a church that loves Jesus and loves studying the Bible. And we study, we love to study the Bible uh, through books of the Bible, verse by verse. We're affiliated with Calvary Chapel. And you can find all the information about where we're at on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. And also on there, you can listen to old teachings, you know, past messages, and you can get all kinds of information about our church. It's just a great resource. Let's go to our text line real quick and see what kind of text we've we've had come in. So we have one one question. It's a pretty serious question uh, that was texted in just now, and it says this: Hi, Pastor. Is finding out about your spouse's pornography addiction that has been hidden and lied about for years is that biblical grounds for divorce? 
Is it in the same category as infidelity according to God? And if not, how can you tell if you've truly forgiven that person? Thank you. Well, that's a very heavy thing for sure. I, I think that some people, you know, I think that depending on who you ask, you would probably get uh, more than one answer. So I think there would be some people who would say, yeah, that is grounds for divorce. I'm going to land on the side of saying that I don't think that that's biblical grounds for divorce. I don't think that that is the same as having uh, an affair with another person. Uh, I think that it is certainly not a victimless crime, though. I will say that um, a lot of people have said that, you know, pornography is a victimless crime because the person who views pornography is really only hurting themselves. But I think that that is a misnomer which has been proven false over the last several years, uh, you know, especially as more and more has come out about human trafficking. And uh, I work with an organization, our church here, Whitefields in Longmont, we work with an organization based out of Budapest, Hungary, which I came to know about when I, during my time over in Hungary. And they're called the Anonymous Ways Foundation. And what they do is they help women who are caught in human trafficking to escape human trafficking. It's actually an international organization based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And they put out a lot of statistics and materials about the sex industry. And it's, it's very, very um, terrible when you read about that. And just one thing that they put out recently was talking about how some of these people who are, you know, in the industry, the pornography industry, there's been a ton of suicide uh, recently of, I guess, high-profile people. This is what this article was saying. And they were saying that the reason was that these people feel this extreme sense of defilement they feel a extreme sense of shame and they don't know what to do they they feel this sense of hopelessness that they're lost and that um that there's no one that they can turn to for help and there have been a lot of christian ministries who have reached out to people in the pornography industry and in the um, prostitution industry reaching out to them and that's good so i would just say it's not a victimless crime there absolutely are victims on both sides. As you say, it sounds like you even are a victim of this, of your husband or your, your wife's, I'm not sure, your spouse's pornography addiction. And so it's certainly not a victimless crime. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly a sin and it's a terrible thing. Um, but I will say this, I do think that there's a distinction between that and having a physical affair. Um, so I would encourage you, and it sounds like you are seeking to uh, forgive your spouse and wanting to do that. I would encourage you in that. Just yesterday I was teaching from Hebrews chapter 12. And this is what it says in Hebrews 12:15. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble uh, which can defile many. There's two things he says there, which they're both very interesting. One is that um, he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And secondly, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble. So bitterness, I believe, is related to unforgiveness a lot of times. It's when you don't forgive someone and this kind of bitterness grows in your heart. And and so I, he describes it as a root. And it's almost that he's picturing a weed. And I was thinking about weeds. You know, it's like if you just pluck off the top of them, they continue to grow. That's why when you pull out weeds in your yard, you have to get them out by the roots. And that's also a very difficult thing to do. But if you don't do it, eventually the weeds are going to spread 
And so that, but that's the picture it gives us of what bitterness is like in our hearts. It's like a weed which goes in. And you think about what weeds do. If you have a garden or if you're a farmer, you know, weeds go in, they, they take root, and then they begin stealing the nutrients and sucking up the nutrients from the, the good plants that you want to grow. And they cause those good plants to become weaker as the weed gets stronger. So they're just robbing nutrients. And I think that's a picture of what bitterness does in our lives. It takes root and it robs us of those good uh, nutrients that we need. That are, it robs our time, it robs our energy, it, it robs our spirituality. And so we are to root these things out, to take them out by the roots. And so I would just en encourage you in that because one of the examples I used yesterday is that what bitterness, holding on to bitterness, holding on to unforgiveness, is kind of like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. If you do allow bitterness to take root in your heart, it will only hurt you. But it's, of course, it sounds to me like you, you absolutely do want to forgive your spouse. And how can you know if you've truly forgiven them? Well, I, I don't know if it's a feeling that you'll have. I think it's a decision that you make. I've heard it said that uh, forgiveness is uh, when it's say you were, you were holding something against someone, like you were holding something to throw it at someone, and it's essentially putting it down. It's saying that someone has to suffer the pain of something that has happened. And when you forgive someone, you're essentially saying, rather than forcing you to suffer more, I am going to suffer the pain that it causes me to let this go. Now, when you forgive somebody, you're not saying that what they did was okay. I think that's really important. When God in Christ forgives us, he's not saying by any means that what we did was okay. But what he is saying is that he forgives us. He pays that price. He takes it upon himself and he suffers for it so that he can forgive us. So that would be, I hope, some words of encouragement for you. I don't believe it's biblical grounds for divorce. And I think that uh, you, you have the right attitude in wanting to forgive your spouse. I would encourage you that maybe there's some kind of program at your church or maybe some way that you can bring this into light, maybe some kind of accountability that your spouse can get into to help with this. But ultimately, the root issue needs to be dealt with, and that root issue is one of sin. There needs to be repentance that takes place where this person realizes they haven't just sinned against you, but they've also sinned against God. So uh, I would like to pray for you too before we go on to some of our callers who've called in in the meantime. Heavenly Father, I pray for this person who's texted in and just the, I pray, Lord, in this pain of realizing this uh, pornography addiction of their spouse, Lord, the insecurity that comes with that and, and knowing that the spouse has been going somewhere else for something which is sacred and meant to be kept inside of marriage. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing to this texture. I pray that you would bring comfort, that you would be near to them. And Lord, that you would uh, give the strength to this person to be able to forgive and, uh, and to be able to forgive in the future as well. Um, not just one time forgiving, but saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continually choose to let this go and to, to say, yes, I forgive you. Lord, I pray that you give this person that strength just as you have forgiven them in Christ. Lord, may they also forgive you, or may they also forgive the person who has sinned against them. And Heavenly Father, I pray for this person who has this pornography addiction. I pray that truly you would set them free in Jesus' name. And I pray that in your son's precious name. Amen. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to Teresa in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Teresa. Teresa, are you there? Oh, did we lose Teresa? Well, 
Teresa had a question, it says here, about talking to people who you don't like. So I'm not sure exactly what her question was, but um, I'll just tell you a few things. I think that this is part of Christian fellowship is uh, sometimes we end up needing to talk to people we don't like. In fact, I would say it's it's part of the design of the church is that God puts us together with people who aren't like us. And I would even go so far as to say that you and I as Christians, we need people who are not like us uh, in order to grow. And that's one of the beauties of the church is that, you know, the church is a body. That's what the Bible calls it. And it describes it that way as a body made up of many different members. And those members have different functions, but they also take different shapes and different forms. And I think that's part of the beauty. I think that if you get around people who are only like you, what ends up happening is it becomes like an echo chamber where you keep hearing your same opinions and your same thoughts, you know. If everybody has the same political opinions as you do, if everybody is exactly just like you, then it's really hard to grow in a situation like that. So I think it's really important. In fact, I was just teaching on this a few weeks ago when I was teaching on um, Hebrews. We've just finished the book of Hebrews in our church um, about three weeks ago. And I was teaching chapter 13. And in chapter 13, he's talking about fellowship and he's talking about the need for fellowship. And it's really interesting that he says this in verse, um, the writer says this in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1. He says, let brotherly love continue. And then he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And so that's actually very interesting if you read it in the Greek, right? Because it says, let brotherly love. And that word for brotherly love is the word phileo, like where we get the word Philadelphia. So actually, that's the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. But then he says this next word, which is xenophilia, which is uh, xeno means outsiders or others, people who are not like you. And he's talking about xenophilia basically means taking care of people or loving people. That's what it means, loving people who are not like you. So, so loving insiders and loving outsiders. In other words, loving people who are like you and loving people who are not like you is very important for how we grow as Christians. So some advice on how to talk to people that you don't like, I would say uh, a few things. One thing would be patience, grace, remembering that how God treated us when we were his enemies. In Romans chapter 5, it says that that's how we know the love of God that was expressed in this way, that God loved us when we were when we had a posture of being his enemies, when we were not uh, seeking him or loving him. God loved us first. And he says, it's so rare that a, a good person maybe would die uh, for another good person. But, but who in the world would die, give their life for their enemies? And yet that is what God has done for us. And that's how we know the love of God. That's the greatest sign and, and proof of God's love for us is that he gave his life for us when we were yet his enemies. And so I would encourage you to have that heart of Jesus towards whoever this person is that you don't like, that you need to talk to. And the other thing is, if this is somebody who's offended you, you know, we have very clear direction from Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 about how to deal with that. And that's that you go talk to that person one-on-one. -on -one. If, if they refuse to receive what you're saying or, you know, hear you out, then you bring along another brother or sister along with you and say, hey, let, let's talk about this. Let's resolve this so that there can be restoration of fellowship between us. And and then finally, if that doesn't work, then you um, then you bring it before a larger group. You bring it before the church, you know, and you bring it and make it a make it a public issue and say, hey, I'm really trying to reach out to this person and 
and seek reconciliation with them, but they're not having it. And so that's the process that's in Matthew chapter 18. So that's my advice for you there on uh, talking to people who you don't like. So you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have all open lines right now. You can call us. It's a great time. The number to call is 303 690 That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. So 720-336-0897. While we're waiting for those calls to come in, we'll go uh, talk about a few other things. So uh, just to let you know, one thing I'm really excited about right now, a uh, couple things I wanted to share with you. One is there is a movie which is going to be showing at the AMC Theater in Westminster, uh, I think on the 22nd of April, so about eight days from now. Yeah, that's right. So it's a Tuesday, uh, t- April 22nd. For, so for those of you listening in the local area here in Colorado, uh, this movie is put out by Voice of the Martyrs, which is a ministry that advocates for, for people who are suffering for Christ all around the world. And it's a movie about their founder, whose name is Richard Wormbrand. He was a pastor in Romania, and uh, he was he was um, persecuted during the communist period, but uh, God used him in a great way to not only start this ministry, but also to be active in helping to uh, see change come about in, in Romania after communism. So... This movie is called Tortured for Christ, and it's the story of Richard Wormbrand, and it's going to be showing at the AMC Theater in Westminster. And what I heard from them today, because we're taking a group from our church, but I heard from them today that they need about 30 more people to to buy tickets um, so that they can be able to show this movie. So they need to be able to sell the tickets in order to um, have this spot at the movie theater. So if you're interested in that, do, do check that out. Uh, just Google Voice of the Martyrs, Tortured for Christ in Westminster, Colorado at the AMC Theater. And maybe that's something that you or, or a group from your church could be involved in. And uh, another thing I was just going to tell you about, those of you in the Longmont area, we've been doing something that I'm really excited about these past couple weeks at Whitefields. And that is that we started a sermon series called The Trouble Is. And so I had mentioned this on the radio a couple a couple weeks now in a row. So we are now, we just finished yesterday our second installment. So two out of six. So we're doing six things. And we did a poll online. We had everybody we know share it with everybody they know. And so we got it out to quite a lot of people and we got a lot of response. And the question was, what are the biggest things that are hurdles or barriers for people in our society in coming to faith. And so we got a ton of responses and we've just been kind of going through. So we divide them up into six big categories and we are addressing those. And I think it's, it's really exciting for me to just be in a dialogue with people in our church. People have been inviting their friends and they've been sharing the messages online. It's just been really exciting. And so maybe there are some of these topics that touch with some of you who are listening and maybe you'd love to talk about them. I'd love to hear from you. So first week we did the Bible. Can you really trust it? Hasn't it been changed? I mean, what about the extra books that didn't make it in? Those kind of things. And um, then the other the other uh, topic we talked about this past week was actually the one which we found to be the most, um, most responses. So 76% of people in our poll said that the reason why they or other people they know struggle with embracing Christianity is that Christians are hypocrites. And so we talked about that, which is really interesting because it's not an evidential issue, right? You can't like prove or disprove Christianity based on that. But the way that people think is, hey, you know, if Christianity produces 
these kinds of people, right? Hypocrites or abusive people or people who do things like the Crusades or bombing abortion clinics. Well, then there must be something fundamentally wrong with Christianity if it produces these kinds of people. So therefore, I, I don't want anything to do with it. Or maybe, here's another really interesting statistic that I found, was that 35% roughly of the population of the United States today at some point in their life, in the past, maybe in childhood or growing up, were involved in a church. So these are de-churched, disassociated people, disaffected people who were had some affiliation with church, and now they don't, and for whatever reason. And a lot of times the reason is because of hypocrisy, because they were hurt by other Christians, or they saw things that just didn't line up. They said, how can these people call themselves followers of Jesus if they act like this? And so Christian... Um, hypocrisy and bad behavior is a really big deal. And I think as Christians, we need to address that. So we're going to go to our callers. And if any of you would love to talk about the topic, like I said, I just got done preaching about it yesterday, and I'd love to, to talk more with you about that topic. But in the meantime, let's go to Dolores in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Dolores. Hi. Hey, what's up? How are you? I'm doing great. What's going on? Well... I feel like um, I, I I guess I got some characteristics of Gideon. <laughs> okay. Um, trying to share my faith. Um, I want to do it. It's in me, and I and and it comes out like I just left a um, a coffee shop, and um, you know I'm 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 always observing people, and I'm like I want to do it because you know that's what's in me, and then I went to share my faith, and I started stuttering and. You know, just just got nervous, and you know, and I'm yeah. just wondering why is that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is in your case, but I I think that these are so. I think okay, on the one hand, there's a spiritual aspect, right? That these are these are the words of life. These are the words of truth. Not to mention the fact that we have an enemy who doesn't want that to happen, and uh, we'll try and hinder that. But I think there's also just the fact that you're talking about uh, really big things. And so, I mean, I don't think it's uncommon at all to get nervous about sharing your faith. I think that we see that with the apostles. It's one of my favorite uh, places in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 says that uh, they get told by the authorities to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they say, hey, look, uh, if it comes down to obeying you or obeying God, we're going to have to choose God. Sorry. But then I love that the end of the chapter, it says, starting in verse 23. So Acts chapter 4, 23. It says that... Um, they went together and they, they read the scriptures together. So they, they got together, all these disciples, they read the scriptures together and they said, man, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers who gather together against the Lord and his anointed. In other words, why is there so much opposition to this message? Mm -hmm. Well, God said wow. there would be, so we shouldn't be surprised. But then I love what they say. They say, um, and now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word in all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So I love that, that these guys just said, hey, we're not going to stop speaking about Jesus, but man, we really need some boldness. We really need the Holy Spirit to help us to be the witnesses yes. of Jesus that he's called us to be. And so that would be yes. just my advice for you. And maybe I'll pray for you before you go. It's just uh, 
man, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit with boldness. Okay. So, yeah, how about we pray then? Heavenly Father, I pray for Dolores, and I just ask that uh, as we read here in the book of Acts, chapter 4, well, this would be her story as well, that uh, whatever difficulty she finds in sharing her faith, whether it's nerves or whether it's spiritual attack, Lord, I pray that you would fill her with boldness and that she would speak the word of God with boldness filled with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would uh, bless her as she shares her faith, help her to do it with wisdom, with winsomeness, and in the power of the Spirit. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You bet. God bless you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, uh, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to Donnie in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Hi, Pastor Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing okay. I was calling in for a prayer request if you could pray for me. Um, I've been dealing with some stuff, and I haven't been um, actively seeking a, a church to get back into because I've had some hurts and some pains. It's funny that I just listened to some of your sermon. I only caught a little bit of it yesterday um, talking about that, and then when you just brought it up a few minutes ago. But I definitely have gotten to a point in my walk with the Lord that um, it seems like I am literally picking churches apart, and I'm trying to not do that, and I realize that you don't go to church for a man. You go to church to be obedient, um, to learn, to have fellowship, to grow, and I've just been really struggling because the churches that I was in for a long period of time really were dogmatic in their viewpoints about you know, you've lost your first love, you're, you've left your first love, um, you, you don't have any gifts uh, or fruits of the Spirit, um, you, you know, you're backsliding, you're going to lose it all, you're going to walk away from Christ. Mm-hmm. But what they don't see and what a lot of these people don't know is is that I still pray, I still repent. Um, I still have that belief that's never gone away, but because of the hurts, because of the things that I've had, you can't just take and, you know, snap your fingers or take a magic wand and, and have that disappear realistically. I mean, it's for me personally, it's something that's very genuinely um, hurtful deep down inside. There's times that I have to literally learn to control my mouth, not to just want to call people out for stuff. And then also remember, too, at the same time that I need to show grace and mercy as well that I haven't been shown, and it's just something not easy to do. And because of it, it's led me to, I literally have no desire to really find a church, and I'm constantly looking, and I'll go, and I'll, you know, I'll get in there, and and then the things that I have been taught, uh, I get in there and find myself being very judgmental on on the the leadership, um, things that I see going on in the church, and then I'm like, that's not right. So I'm having to unlearn a lot of things because of the um, the type of denomination of church that I was at prior to this was just so dogmatic that that's it's almost it's it's just second nature to me, and I know that it's not right, and I know that I've had to go to you know to a handful of people and just say hey I'm sorry and you know I just but it but it has it's really starting to get to the to the point where I just really don't even want to be around the church, and I know that. You know, there's not going to be a perfect church. I know there's hypocrisy. I know that I myself am a sinner, and I'm going to be a sinner until I'm called home. And and I know that I'm forgiven for that. But, boy, when you're looking for a church, when you're looking for, you know, what you haven't had for a long time, it, it becomes so hurtful that it has. It's, it's taken me out, and it scares me to now think of listening to those verses and those sermons that I've been, you know, heard for so long, for so 
many times over and over again about a loss of salvation. You're going to abandon your first love. So you're turning your back. That's a rejection. That's this. Yeah. And, and it's so I, I need a lot of prayer for that and, and yeah. for some peace, too, because it's, so, it's, it's a struggle. Okay, yeah, man. Well, Donnie, hey, we're going to go to break in about one minute. Okay. And uh, maybe you just hang on with me through the break if you don't mind holding for two minutes. Yeah. Because um, then I, I pray for you. But I think this is a really important thing to address because, you know, I just mentioned a statistic. I don't know if you were on hold when I said it or not, but I mentioned that 35% of the U.S. population mm-hmm. at one point was associated with a church and now is not. And that is a, that's one in three people. That's a lot. Yeah. And a lot yeah, of the reason is. is because they have hurts similar to your own. And, uh, you know, one of the, the way I kind of opened the, the sermon yesterday at my church was I said, hey, you know, I, I've been a pastor now for 13 years, a lead pastor, and I've experienced a lot of those things myself, been stabbed in the back, been stabbed in the front. But I haven't given up on Jesus and I haven't given up on the church either, because that's the other thing that people do is they'll, they'll commonly give up on the church. But I don't think that's the right answer. So, hey, we're going to go yeah. to break right now, but um, okay. stick with me and we'll talk again on the way on the other side. We'll be right okay. back. You're listening to Calvary Live. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. I think we've got one open line right now. The call is 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand. That's three zero three six nine zero three thousand. We're going to go back to Donnie from Cheyenne, Wyoming. We were just talking before the break. Hey, Donnie, you still there? Yep, I'm still here, Pastor. Okay. So, you know, I can relate to your your um, you know your feelings of being hurt and um, and being without a church. But I will tell you that I do appreciate what you're saying. That you know you're saying that the answer you realize the answer is is not to just isolate and to, you know, go away from church, nor is it to have this critical spirit. And it's funny that, uh, you know, sometimes you hear people say, I actually think I had somebody say this to me literally, where they said, you know, they felt that their spiritual g- gift was um, a critical spirit. <laughs> and I'm oh, like, are you oh, kidding man. me? Amen, like, I've heard that. <laughs> I don't think that's a gift of the spirit. In fact, I know it's not a gift of the spirit, <laughs> and I don't think it's helpful. So, Anyway, I appreciate the fact that you're you're aware of that, and uh, so yeah. I just I think you're on the right track with that. Now I just um, I just tell you I think what you need to be looking for is the right criteria in searching for a church, and mm-hmm. and I think you need to kind of figure out what those criteria are, and then get involved in a church that has those criteria, and then the the messiness of it I think is actually it's going to be a good thing for you, you mm-hmm. know, because it sounds like God's already working in your life in the sense of like building you up to the place where, you know, he's breaking down this, this, uh, critical spirit. And it sounds like the church you were in before was, was, was a bit harsh and, uh, lacking in some grace is what it sounds like from what you said. Now, I don't, I don't know that church. I don't know where it is or anything, but maybe, you know, God needs to, uh, break some of that in you, 
by putting mm-hmm. you in a situation, kind of like uh, the person I was talking to earlier, uh, Teresa in Denver, where it was like, you know, when it comes to talking to people you don't like, you know, that, that is actually one of the things that God uses in our lives. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so, you know, the criteria that I would really recommend for you, you need to find a Bible teaching church, a church that really, I would say, a church that believes in the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, yep. And, and a church that's committed to teaching the Word and and a church that's committed to, to fellowship and prayer. Just so, you know, it sounds basic, but I think that that's, that's going to be the main criteria I'm going to tell you to look for. And I know for a fact that there are some churches like that up in Cheyenne. Um, I have a good mm-hmm. friend, Sean Sells. I don't know if you know him, but uh, Sean yeah, is a... Yeah, I know Pastor Sean. I've, yeah. it, years ago, I used to um, visit with him um, here and there and stuff like that. So I, I'm very familiar with Pastor Sean. And I thought about going and checking them out and going back over there. But again, it's 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 a constant spiritual warfare when you go into a church and, and you, the minute when I wake up in the morning, my mentality and my thoughts aren't, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to literally pick apart all this good stuff. But when I show up, when I get there, instead of staying focused on, you know, there's times that I just want to just hit the altar. I just want, I just want to get on my knees. I, I need to let out a cry. I need to you know, ask for forgiveness. I need to, whatever, whatever I need to do. But I find myself sitting there thinking like, oh man, and this isn't in saying anything with uh, Pastor Sean or any particular church, but this is just a behavioral pattern that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. I'll sit there and I'll be like, oh man, I come to this church, which I believe preaches more of what I agree with doctrinal stances, but then they're very liberal in these areas, and that kind of scares me. Or I come to this church that's very dogmatic and very legalistic, but the way that they do praise and worship, I agree, and, and, and they operate in the, the gifts of the Spirit. I agree with that. So then now my head's going back and forth, and I know that that's a—Satan just loves that, because now instead of even just being able to sit there and receive a message that could be speaking to my heart, I'm already fighting a battle. And then now I'm sitting here wanting to pick out, like, Oh, this is this is great. This is what the old church used to preach about these churches that are watered down, super friendly. You know, it just let's just get them in the in in the church and 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 I'm and I got all this stuff going on. So the the how to get to that point number to me I know it's just going to take a lot of prayer and I'm going to have to to be honest, I'm just going to have to pull up my big boy shorts and I'm just going to have to just get in there and just keep going, keep going, be consistent. But it, but it is. It's, it's it's very difficult when I'm sitting there and I hear something, and I'm like, wait a minute here, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. And immediately, I'm also somebody that's very responsive. I'm very uh, I want to know what's going on with this now, and I become impatient. Or did they just say what I thought? Did they did they right. just say drinking was okay? Did they just say yeah. that? You know, I think you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. But, well, let me then, uh, pray for you. Because uh, yeah, we have some other callers I want to get to. But, hey, I, I do appreciate your heart in this. And I just want to pray for you. That, uh, yeah, thanks. And, and I really do think that it, it's going to come down to figure out what is the criteria that is very important to you. And in my opinion, that should be a church that views the inerrancy of Scripture. And then, man, yeah, I think you, you're right about the things you say. It's going to come down to you making a decision and then going there and then yeah. rolling with it and being part of a fellowship that may be imperfect. And I, and I actually think that will be 
good for you. So let me pray for you Amen. and uh, anyone else yep. who's struggling with the same stuff. So Heavenly Father, we pray for Donnie. We pray for other people out there who are saying, you know, they're really struggling with um, with finding a church and, and maybe they're struggling with having a judgmental spirit, even though they know that's wrong. Lord, I pray for uh, Donnie, Lord, that you would help him to find the right church for him, but that when he goes there, that he would be a blessing and that he would be an encouragement. Yeah. And Lord, that he would uh, sense the spiritual warfare that's happening in his own heart. Uh, and that, Lord, that he would stand against it with the armor of your spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless him, lead him to the right place, and, and, and give him that uh, gracious, loving spirit that he desires to have. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Amen. Donnie. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. All right, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Let's go to Randy on line three. Hey, Randy, how are you doing? Hey, Nick, this is Randy from East Tennessee. Hey, Randy, you are my first caller from East Tennessee, so welcome. Yes, I heard a couple weeks ago that uh, nobody, I listened to Truth FM, and nobody Uh had called from that station. So I took the opportunity today when the lines were empty. Awesome. So My glad you question did. is, I am also a believer in the inerrancy of Scripture. I'm a strong uh, Bible proponent. I will preface the question by telling you that I use and believe that the 1611 King James Version is our better version. And that's where I've taught from for years, and that's the Bible version that our church uses. My question is, do you not feel that some of the more modern translations that take the liberty to put in their footnotes uh, that will say the more modern manuscripts do not include these verses or question these verses, do you not think that that does damage to people's uh, trust or belief that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually, and maybe you heard me say this a little earlier, I taught on this subject two Sundays ago when I was talking about uh, The Trouble Is, you know, our series, I talked about the Bible. And the Trouble Is, uh, yeah, no, and I talked about this very issue. I talked about the manuscript issue. And so, um, man, the manuscript thing is is one of the biggest proofs we have that the Bible is, uh, you know, it's one of the things that leads us to believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. And so to give you some examples, you know, for example, we have um, 5,800 ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. That's a lot. And especially if you compare that with like the next closest thing, which would be uh, Homer's Odyssey and Iliad from a similar period. And compare that, 5,800 New Testament manuscripts compared to 200 manuscripts of the next best thing, which is Homer's Odyssey and Iliad. I mean, it's not even close. And what we can see when we compare those 5,800 manuscripts is that there are very little differences. So here's here's the statistic. There are 99.4% of all the material between those 5,800 documents is identical which means that 0.6% is different. 
And that there's uh, that's what we call textual variance. Now people say, oh, well, 0.6%. I mean, that's not much, but that's still something, right? Yeah, well, it's actually really not much at all. Here's what that means. A textual variant is any time in which a scholar, let's say, was was transcribing. And what they would do is one scholar would transcribe. They were called the scribes. They're talked about in the New Testament. And then two guys would stand over his shoulders, one on each shoulder, and they would watch and make sure that he didn't make a single mistake. And if he made one mistake, what they would do is they would cross it out and all three of them would have to initial in the margin. And every time that happened, uh, so again, that's not an error. That's a corrected error. Like when you, you know, write something wrong on a check and then you fix it. Um, and, and that's included in that 0.6%. Uh, sometimes it's a comma. Sometimes it's that one manuscript says Jesus. Another manuscript says Lord Jesus. So it's, it's things like this. They, none of them change our theology. Now, and here's what it comes down to, though. And here's to your question. There are 10 to 12 disputed passages in the New Testament. And, um, and they're not very many. But here's the thing, and I actually, so I actually think kind of the opposite of what you're suggesting here. I think the fact that we are honest about them, that we are upfront with them, gives us legitimacy as Christians. Because I was preaching on this subject just two weeks ago. We had some people, you know, we invited a lot of people to, to listen to this message. And some people came in and, you know, I'm able to tell them, hey, look, you know, there are some disputed passages. There are some that are in the early, or sorry, there's some that are in later documents, but not in the earliest documents. And we don't we don't uh, hide that. We don't try and keep it a secret. We're just super upfront about it. Like, hey, these passages uh, are not in some of the manuscripts, and we don't know why. We have a theory as to why uh, some are in later manuscripts and not in others. And so, I will say one thing to your point. You had said that some of the later manuscripts don't contain certain things. Actually, just the opposite. It's the earliest manuscripts which don't contain some of the things which the later manuscripts contain. So one of the examples is John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, which happens to be the very passage I spoke on yesterday when I was teaching on the topic of um, hypocrisy. Anyway, it's the it's story of the woman caught in adultery. Okay, so that passage is not found in the earliest manuscripts. It's found in some later manuscripts. It's found in majority manuscripts. So when you're talking about the King James, remember that the King James is using the, um, the received text, and the received text is the majority documents, so the later documents, whereas, uh, so for example, other translations, like for example, the ESV, also a very good translation, or the NASB, very, very literal translation and, and one that I really like is using the earliest documents and then where there are differences like there or say like in Ephesians 2, uh, there's just an extra couple words that are added in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and it's notated in the bottom that says, hey, these things um, are found in later documents but not in the earliest one. So again, what the main theory behind that as to how these other things got added in later is that they were added in as commentary or they were added in as stories which people said, um, hey, this story should have been included and it wasn't, and so they included it. But I think, it, I, so that's my, that's the long and short of it, is I think that it actually is, is more, gives us more legitimacy to acknowledge. But again, there's 10 to 12 total of these um, textual variants that are, that are significant and not a single one of them affects our theology. So 
again, I, I don't think it, it lends itself towards not believing in the Bible. I think just the opposite. It, it lends itself towards the fact that 99.4% of all the 5,800 manuscripts are identical. I mean, that is, this, that's nothing short of miraculous. I mean, that is divinely inspired. So. Yes, and I would absolutely agree. It's, it's not that I distrust the inerrancy of Scripture, but when you get to some of the more modern translations that lean heavily on, the, I don't know whether the pronunciation is Nestle or Nestle and Aland, some of that seems a little more questionable. Yeah, and, you know, I agree with that. So, for example, there's a big difference between... Um, so, when I studied Greek and I studied this translation stuff when I was in seminary, my my first uh, seminary degree, I had to study this stuff, and it was really eye-opening for me to see stuff like the message, for example. So, for me, I wouldn't even say that the message, it's not a translation. Some people will call it the message translation. That is not a translation. It is a commentary. Because anytime you're doing a translation, you're trying to, uh, you're, you're working on a spectrum. Where at the one end, you're talking, you know, dead literal, word for word. And on the other end, you're saying, okay, idea for idea. And any translation, no matter even if you're an interpreter, sometimes I, I actually work as an interpreter here in Longmont and, um, and, you know, anytime you translate or interpret, you are going to be falling somewhere on that spectrum. But at the point where you get more over to the idea for idea thing, you are actually now becoming a, um, not just a translator, you're not just even becoming an interpreter, you're becoming a commentator. You are adding your own thoughts or assumptions to that. So so that's where I'm actually agreeing with you, is that when you get overway on the idea for idea translations, that's a, that the danger there is that you actually get into it being a commentary rather than a translation. And yeah. I think that some, some people do go to that extreme. So that's why I'm saying um, I don't really have a problem with new translations. And I'll tell you why, because the Bible, the that we have 5,800 manuscripts. The Bible's not changing, but our language changes. Like, I don't speak the way that that uh, that Shakespeare spoke. In fact, I, I find it very difficult to even read Shakespeare or things from, from a couple hundred years ago written in English just because that's not the way we talk, and some of our words have actually changed meaning. Like the word in the old King James, you know, the word awful, which right. now we use the word awesome, and awful means bad. And But in the way it was used... In the King James Version, awful actually was supposed to mean really, really good. So that's confusing. So I think for the sake of um, the fact that our language is constantly changing, but the Bible is not changing, I think there is a warrant for newer translations. And that's why I lean towards the highly literal ones like uh, ESV, NASB, New King James. And, and by the way, the New King James does also annotate uh, by saying that, uh, and, and even the the King James. Um, if you buy a King James translation today, you'll see the words are italicized, and those words that are italicized are not found in the earliest documents. Right. So, anyway, hey, thank you for calling in, and uh, right. I appreciate you defending inerrancy because it's very important. So, All right. God thank bless you. you. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to Carrie Ann in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Carrie. Hi, how are you? Doing great. So my question today, I am married, and my husband has been slowly 
putting off a bunch of things, taking care of himself, taking care of his relationships, and so on. And just recently, we've had a situation with a vehicle because he wasn't taking care of it. Now it's broken down, and we're down to one vehicle. And I'm trying to figure out at what point, from a godly wife perspective, do I step back and allow the natural consequences that he needs to suffer occur, or am I to continue to help him out and get him out of some of these situations that he is truly creating for himself and now is impacting our entire family? Yeah, so that that is the difficult one. I think it's one to which there isn't always a black and white, you know, always do this or always do that answer. It sounds like you know that, though. But I yeah. would just say, um, here's the thing, Carrie Ann, you got to make sure that whatever you're doing is motivated by love for your husband. And it's okay. not devoted, it's not motivated by um, a sense of kind of retaliation or even, um, I guess the word I want to use is passive aggressive in a way of which you can be saying, well, I'm just going to let you, you know, suffer the consequences. Now, so what I'm saying is there can be a, you could do the same thing for good motives or the same thing for bad motives. And I don't know what your particular motive will be. That's something that you need to hash out with God. Okay. And, uh, I really would encourage you to seek that and just be super honest with God and ask him to reveal your heart. Because that's what the Bible says. That a lot of times we don't even, we're not even really honest or even able to see our own hearts correctly. And so mm. I would just encourage you to do that. Seek the Lord. Ask him about, hey, um, it, do I have the right heart in this? Am I doing this to kind of stick it to him or to, you know, am I being passive aggressive in wanting to let him suffer the consequences? Or is this really a time, Lord, when when you want to teach him through these consequences? And I would actually be preventing that by continuing to bail him out. Right. I think that both of those can be right in the in the right time and in the right way. But but my you see, that's that's that intangible thing of what is your true motivation in doing it. And I think that's what really what God's what God is most concerned about is uh, where's your heart at. And I agree with that. Um, the majority of the time when our family bumps into stuff, regardless of whether it was an action caused by him or what have you, I tend to immediately go find a solution and fix it. I'm kind of like the non-wife in a way because I'm the fixer okay. and he's not. And I'm constantly trying to solve issues and problems so our family can continue to grow and develop and uh, be close with each other. But this last week with the car thing, um, he did not put oil in his vehicle for quite some time and blew a head gasket on the car. Mm -hmm. So now he's without it. And I was like, you need to figure out how to get to and from work. I have to go to my job and get the kids to their places. And I wasn't trying to be ugly about it, but I also know that if I tried to solve that problem, I was going to continue to enable him. And I, that's where I'm afraid to cross a line is yeah. I don't want to be enabling him. So and, he, and he does have a lot of issues. He relapsed um, back in February. Okay. And so I, I'm i trying to balance the enabling and godly wife and my own codependency issues. Yeah. No, I, I think you, it sounds like you're, you're asking the right questions here, Carrie Ann. And the other thing I would just encourage you with is, um, you know, I, I think it is part of your role as his wife to help him get into some program that's going to help him if he's, um, 
you know, if he's gone back, relapsed into um, substance abuse. And so I would encourage you to help him get into something that can help him with that. But also, yeah, you have to be moving him towards responsibility and, uh, and that without doing it in a way that's bitter and re- resentful or trying to get back at him. So Definitely. Again, that, He's that's in an, a Celebrate Recovery program he just started at our I'm church. So. Glad to hear that. That's awesome. Let me pray yeah. for you, and then I'm going to let you go. So Heavenly Father, pray for Carrie Ann and her husband. We pray for her husband, Lord, that you would uh, set him free from addiction. And Lord, that you had set him free. That we know that's that's your desire. That, as you said to the people of Israel, your goal was to set them free so that they might serve you. And uh, we pray that that would be the case in his life. Heavenly Father, I pray for Carrie Ann. Show her her heart, Lord. Show her where where is that line between wanting to move him towards responsibility and, and taking responsibility for his actions. But Lord, I pray also you'd help her that she would do it for the right reasons and, and it wouldn't be out of a passive-aggressive attitude, but truly out of love. So I pray that you would fill her heart with your love by your Holy Spirit, as your word says in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless Thank you, you. Carrie Ann. All right. You you're listening too. to Bye-bye. Calvary. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Five or six minutes left in the show. Let's go to John in Aurora, Colorado. Hey, John. Hey, Pastor Nick. How you doing? I'm doing great. What's up? Uh, so I um, had an opportunity, uh, or you know, have an opportunity to start teaching at my church and um you know i i feel like i've i've kind of had that um call on my life for a long time since i was a kid um but it never came to fruition and and um it's something i struggle with and struggled against you know like fighting against it and and i guess like now it's happening and um I'm just nervous about teaching God's word to people. Um, Can I ask you, know, you real quick why you were nervous about it? Um, just because. Oh, not so much nervous, but why did you resist it? Um, maybe it's kind of like a Moses kind of thing. Like I knew, I kind of feel, feel felt like I knew that God was calling me to that, but at the same time, like. I felt like it was, you know, maybe at the same time, like a pride thing, like, like, like I don't know, like if I, like I, you I would it for have the been wrong reasons. Is that what you mean? Right, right. Before, yeah. before okay. I felt that way. Now I'm like, <laughs> that's kind of funny. I'm exactly the opposite now where I don't even feel like I'm, I'm worthy or, but more so now I'm like, obviously I'm not worthy, you know, to do anything for the Lord. Obviously, he chooses the the purpose for his vessels, but uh, now it's more like um, I'm afraid because, you know, I know that uh, those who teach God's Word to people, you know, to others, um, you know, the truth is that uh, they we're held with a, a stricter judgment. And yeah. So here's what I would tell you, you know, I, uh, I would, I love a few verses that I, I'll give to you, which, um, which I think are really encouraging to me. Uh, I think about Paul the Apostle, and he gets to this point where he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Like he knows that this is his calling, this is what God's called him to do, and he says, woe to me if I don't do it. 
The other one I love is in Jeremiah chapter 20, where Jeremiah says, man, it's like, God, I've told myself I'm not going to speak your word because every time I do, I get derision from other people, but I can't stop. It's like fire in my bones and I have to let it out. And man, I, I want you to get to that place, John, where you're like, man, I, uh, I'm, I have to do this. And, uh, and it sounds like other people see that calling in your life, and that's good. I would encourage you to do it with so much humility. I'll tell you that the people are much more receptive to the word from you if you do it from a place of humility, not a place of self-deprecation, but a place of humility that says, hey, it's not about me. It's about the word. It's about Jesus. Let's talk about him. And so I would encourage you to do that. I encourage you to look at First Timothy. And, um, and yeah, I just encourage you. It sounds like you, you know this stuff, right? Like, so it's, it's a good thing. Those who desire to teach, they desire a good thing. A, a teaching elder is worthy of double honor, but they're also held to a higher standard. And so let me let me pray for you, and then I got one more caller I'm going to try and get before the end of the show. So Heavenly Father, I pray for John, and I thank you, Lord, for uh, just that he has the opportunity to share your word. Lord, may there be more people that you call who are shepherds after your heart, who preach your word in truth and and with humility and honesty, and as your word says, Lord, and just do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for John. Thank you for this opportunity he has to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use him in a really great and powerful way. And Lord, that you would help him work through some of these pride issues and, uh, and that really it would, he would understand that this is a high and holy calling and, and something that cannot be taken lightly. Uh, but yet, it is a wonderful thing to do. I pray for anybody else listening who has the opportunity to teach and preach your word. Lord, that we would always make it about you. That we'd never make it about us or our glory. But Lord, that we would do it with so much joy because, man, it's the word of life. It's the word of truth, and we're just so excited that we get to be those who get to speak it and proclaim it in big settings and little settings and one-on-one. So, Lord, please bless John in that calling. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Nick. All right. God bless you. You too. Thank you. All right. You've been listening to Calvary Live. We are now at the last minute of our show, so I am going to just close this out here by saying uh, thank you for tuning in. You know, you can tune in every day, 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time or wherever the local time is that the show airs on your station, wherever you're listening from. And uh, I will be back with you on Wednesday and Thursday this week. I'm excited to get to do a few extra days. God bless you. Again, my name is Pastor Nick Cady, and I will see you next time. God bless you. been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.